Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, we got the uh, national championship game. We got a recap. And for the first time in this podcast history, Clemson has played in the national championship game and they are not national champions. Did you uh, Did you enjoy the game? I enjoyed the game, yeah, a lot. Um, I had an insignificant bet on Clemson plus whatever it was, I think it was 220, 215 or 220 that I got back in November. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just a straight prop bet, you know, Clemson to win the national championship. I did not bet on this game, Joey, in and of itself, uh, but I did have that bet on Clemson. So I did, in theory, have action on this game last night. Um, yeah, it was really entertaining. For the second time in four years that we've been doing this podcast, Clemson is not the national champion. Um, they provided us with a lot of good fun when they've been in the national championship, whether they win or lose. Uh, obviously, last night wasn't their night, but it was pretty entertaining throughout. Uh, I thought LSU obviously exerted their will in the second half, and we'll get into the game specifically here in a minute. But yep. I thought it was a good showing for Clemson. I, I certainly don't think they embarrassed themselves by any means, just had a, tough, a couple things go their way and some themes that we'll get into kind of that permeated throughout the game that just really – really uh, made the going tough for them, especially in the second half. Yeah, we'll touch on those things here in a couple of seconds. Um, yeah, for me, I mean, I, I obviously the ACC connection and all that, like I, I was, there was a good amount of me that was hoping that Clemson would win, but I also, I mean, I, I enjoyed watching this LSU team. I thought they were fun, a fun team to watch them just play games in general. Um, I, I, I tend to like Ed Ogeron, you know, I, I was happy for him to get that national title and uh, be able to do it as, as Louisiana's favorite son and, and do it in New Orleans and all of that, you know. So I, I, I didn't come away from this game, you know, with any sort of um, negative feeling. I, I didn't, you know, I, I feel a little bit bad for Clemson, you know, having to go through what they've gone through here, you know, and, and get that close and then to, to lose. But at the same time, I mean, you know, when you get home, make sure you dry your tears with that ring you got last year, and uh, then we can talk about how right. upset you are, you know. Um, yeah. Those twenty nine consecutive games you won. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, I, you know, I, I was, I was happy with it. I, I thought it was a fun game to watch in a lot of regards. Um, there was a lot that went on. It was uh, the almost. It was a few minutes short of four hours. Um, I, I looked down at my my watch when the game started, and it was seven nineteen p.m. Central Time. And when the game ended, it was like after eleven ten p.m. So it was just short of four hours. There's a lot that happened. So let's let's kind of dig in here. Um, just from a from a high level, and I think you already started to hit on this. It felt like Clemson didn't play poorly here. Um, the, the the final margin, I I don't know that is really indicative of the way that most of this game went. Um, it felt like the fourth quarter kind of got away from Clemson in a lot of ways, but for for the first probably at least 40, 45 minutes, Clemson hung pretty close in there and and played pretty well and. LSU just caught a few breaks. I, I, I was kind of my big takeaway there. Yeah, LSU caught 
some breaks, certainly. Um, I think the the theme of this game, and I, I think if you look back to the to the first quarter specifically, Clemson got off to a great start. I mean, they get the opening kickoff. They drive right down the field. Uh, Trevor Lawrence is in the gun with three wide receivers. He's changing the play at the line on third down, knowing LSU was bringing a blitz, and Lawrence saw it pre-snap, checked out of it, and then still got sacked, right? And that was on the first drive of the game, and that was a really important play. It knocked Clemson out of field goal range. Technically, they had a 52-yard field goal uh, if they were to attempt it, and they didn't. They ended up punting and playing field position, and it was a curious call, in my opinion, at the time. It ended up actually working out with kind of how it played out the next few possessions. But yep. I thought that was that play in and of itself, that sack that LSU got, that timely play that they came up with, I think that was a theme throughout the game, right? Every time Clemson was threatening, every time it looked like Clemson had an opening, LSU closed it really quick. And that was the opening drive of the game. But I think that it was, it was one of those – it was kind of just a microcosm for the entire game. I, I think it – really kind of permeated throughout where, you know, Clemson had an opportunity, LSU stepped on their throat, right? Mm -hmm, LSU mm -hmm. was able to get the pivotal stop, was able to get off the field. Uh, that happened time and time again, and um, I, I think you saw that early on, even when Clemson was having some more success on offense and you were expecting them to, given the fact that LSU just kind of blitzed the hell out of them in the second half. Um, it, the fact that Clemson had the success they had offensively early, I think, uh, became more of a surprise rather than the expectation like we had pregame. Yeah, absolutely. I let, let's so the way that we want to go about doing this. So I, you know, we've we've taken some notes, we've got some thoughts that we had as the game was going on, and we'll kind of work through the the course of the game on things that were were coming up and it deserve revisiting. One of the big themes I felt like throughout the game, and that you you alluded to here, is is. And, and I don't know that this has really been hit on in a lot of regards from a lot of places. Do you know how Clemson finished this game on third down, Mike? Oh, man. It wasn't very good. They were one for 11 on yep. third down. Um, Clemson's offense was borderline useless on third down. And it's, it's just striking to me because the thing that we forget, last year's national title game, they were, what, 10 for 15 on third down? And in yep. several of those third and long situations, you know, so my how the how the turn tables. Um, but, uh, you know, it's it's a little bit of a, uh, a regression to the mean here, I guess you could say. They, they normalize out to uh, 11 for 26 on on third down across the two national title games the last two years. Um, I, I did think that that punt from the LSU 35 early in the game was really odd. Um, it. it it, as you mentioned, it did work out, but I don't know that you're really going to have a, a, a snowball's chance in hell of beating LSU by just trying to play field position. Like, in some regards, it doesn't really matter if LSU starts on, on the 40 or on the 4. Like, they have an almost equal chance of scoring on either drive. If they start to get rolling, almost nobody's been able to stop them all year, like at any point in time. You know, so I didn't get that decision, but it, it did work out. And, it, and Joey, real quick, mm -hmm. it became even stranger that they were more strange that they made that decision when they kicked that same field goal. Like, what was it, seven or eight minutes later with BT Potter, and he makes a 52 yard field goal? Like, yeah, I think it was in the, in the second quarter. Yeah. In the second quarter. Okay. So you're in that same spot, like a handful of possessions later, and you end up kicking anyway. I'm like, well, why didn't you do that earlier? Yeah. Um, and, and I get that BT Potter hasn't been great this year, right? 
and I, I understand that. Um, but if that's the case, then why wouldn't you had pu- have punted there in the second quarter? It's just it didn't make any sense. It was just inconsistency there yeah. um, with, with questionable field position, which I get. I mean, a lot of coaches run into that, but that was that was a little odd to me. Yeah, the inconsistency of it was, was a bit of a head-scratcher. I, I agree with that. Um, one of the other things I wanted to hit on, we, we looked at this game early on in Clemson's first score. So they scored first. They uh, they go up 7 nothing on a touchdown. And, and one of the things that we talked about in the preview that I noticed them doing was they were emptying the offensive playbook early on in this game. The, the last three plays that resulted in that Clemson touchdown was an RPO that looked like it almost turned into like a QB draw. So it wasn't a decisive, you know, he didn't hand the ball off. He almost like pump faked, and and it looked a lot like the footwork to a QB draw uh, for, for Trevor Lawrence. I thought that was interesting. I didn't know if that was a wrinkle or intentional or unintentional or exactly what it was, but it was interesting to me. The next play was a, a wildcat formation thing that they haven't really shown much of this year. That they just snapped the ball directly to Travis Etienne after motioning Trevor Lawrence out. That's from about the five-yard line. He goes in and gets to like the one. And from there, it was a touchdown run by Lawrence on a read option where they started using Trevor Lawrence's mobility a lot more than, again, they have traditionally, but they certainly used it a lot against Ohio State. So they were emptying the playbook early, doing what they had to do to get points on the board, and it was working there, especially in the early going against LSU. Yeah, I, I would argue that that was, that was clear early, right? And look no further than the very first play of the game, Joey. I mean, you talk about the plays on the scoring drive. How about the very first play of the game? They throw a pass, a wide receiver screen out to T Higgins and try to flip it back to ETN on kind of like a hook and ladder. Um, that was essentially just the entirety of the play took place in the backfield. LSU was all over it, by the way. I think Clemson yeah. had like two or three yards on that play. You got a little but, bit too cute in that situation. Yeah. But that was the very first offensive play of the game. So, mm-hmm. It was clear. I mean, I mean, you mentioned on that scoring drive, and and you know, it was apparent there. But it was apparent from the very first snap that yeah. they were going to do that, and that's something that you know you obviously talked about in the preview, and it manifests itself early. Yeah. Uh, one of the other things I, I was really impressed with too, especially in the first quarter, was uh, Clemson's defense was up on LSU's receivers. They were trying to. I think LSU was trying to get a lot of quick game going, a lot of short passing, trying to get Burrow in rhythm. And Clemson was not having it. They were not giving it to him. Um, they were challenging the receivers. They were they were pressuring Joe Burrow. They, LSU's offense that first two to three drives of the game looked incredibly uncomfortable. And, and AJ Terrell was AJ Terrell was playing very well for Clemson at quarterback. Yes. With a handful of possessions. He had a couple of pass breakups, and it was clear that if he was going to play those receivers tight inside five ten yards, um, and it was going to be the short passing routes that Burrow was going to try to hit. You know, it seemed like Clemson secondary was going to have some success in man-to-man coverage, pressing at the line of scrimmage. Uh, but obviously, that kind of evolved as the game went on. Yeah, AJ Terrell was was very comfortable playing physical, playing in in you know short, you know small spaces, that kind of thing. Um, unfortunately, that did not translate elsewhere. Did not. Um, I want to come back to that here in just a second. The um, and really, that was kind of the other note that I had was that LSU gets on the board, ties the game uh, by going over the top and using Jamar Chase to beat AJ Terrell. That was the first of uh, two long touchdown passes, and there was a third near touchdown pass that they threw to Jamar Chase uh, in the first half, and AJ Terrell on the coverage on all of them. And as good as AJ Terrell is, 
He was by himself on each of those, I believe, and he absolutely could not cover Jamar Chase, and LSU was exploiting it and, and having a lot of success off of it. Yeah, they were exploiting it, and I think what's important to note is that A.J. Terrell was not covering Jamar Chase anymore in the second half, right? Yeah, that they, was an obvious adjustment that Clemson made. They changed and, up those matchups at halftime. It was very noticeable to me as well. Yeah, and – Look, the the truth of the matter is that Terrell would start on any defense in the country at cornerback. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's an outstanding player, and he was getting torched by elite, elite skill talent at receiver. Uh, Jamar Chase is one of the best receivers we've ever seen at LSU, and he was only a sophomore. I mean, he's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. The kid's ridiculous. Um, and, and Joe Burrow, obviously, putting the passes on the money, and you know, there's a reason why he won the Heisman, and you know, why he completed like whatever it was 73% of his passes this year and so on and so forth. Um, but yeah, I mean, Clemson just, it, they had success all year with the back end of their secondary and their pass rush wasn't as big of an issue um, against the competition they were playing. And I think the one thing that we saw last night when LSU started to have some success offensively and make some adjustments is, you know, Clemson, they were bringing five, six guys throughout the entire game. And LSU adjusted, and they realized they could win one-on-one -on -one with their receivers on the outside and Burrow distributing the ball to them like he has all year. Mm -hmm. And I think last night was the first time that we've seen Clemson vulnerable because they couldn't get home with four rushers. And that was not an issue on last year's national championship team. It wasn't an issue a couple of years ago uh, when they lost in the semifinal and um, they had Kelly Bryant at quarterback. Uh, their defense was still really elite in the front seven, and – what you saw out of this year's Clemson team is that the strength was in the secondary, which is great until you face elite skill talent that can win one-on-one -on -one and you don't have the front four to rush that offensive line of LSU, which, I mean, we talked about in the preview about LSU's offensive line. Maybe they'll have some cracks. Maybe they'll have some holes. LSU's offensive line was really good last night. I mean, uh, Clemson got home a couple times and put some pressure on Joe Burrow and, and put some hits on him. But overall, they kept him upright. And more importantly, Joe Burrow's ability to scramble, I think, was one of the biggest stories of the game. Um, mm -hmm. When he was able to get flushed out of the pocket, he did what he did all year. He was able to throw to that skill position talent on the outside that was able to break open off schedule. And he did a really, really nice job of that last night, even when the pass rush nearly got home. He was able to escape. He was able to still make throws down the field, and that ended up being the difference. And I just want to point out here, Mike, how many of these things that we're talking about are things that we mentioned as keys to the game on the preview? A lot, right? Clemson's, and they Clemson's up... sending numbers, sending blitzes. Could they get yep. home? They weren't, and that was a huge problem because if Joe Burrow can escape, he's going to kill you down the field. He is, and, and he did that to everybody he played this year, and it's one of the biggest reasons why LSU's offense was historically good, maybe the best we've ever seen in college football. Mm -hmm. Um and I'm looking at Joey. I have a whole list of notes here, and we've we've spent the entire time of the podcast so far talking about the general themes that we mentioned in the preview. And all these notes that I wrote here, I don't think we've really touched on any of them. And <laughs> with that being said, I feel like we're already we've already covered a lot of ground here. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I think there was a, a some difference in the second half versus the first half, but. Probably not as much as you might think, especially with some adjustments made at halftime and, and the way that LSU was able to pull away. Um, just a couple more. I, I've got notes that I've written down that I think are just, you know, along the lines of what we talked about. In the lines of opening up the playbook, the second touchdown that Clemson scored, 
LSU over-pursuing on defense. Handoff to Travis at ETN. Flips it to T. Higgins on a reverse. It was a brilliant call. T. Higgins runs it all the way in for a touchdown. It was a long touchdown run there for Clemson. So that's more opening the playbook. A.J. Terrell beats Jamar Chase, or uh, it gets beaten by Jamar Chase for the second touchdown for LSU. And, and again, for the third one, it wasn't a touchdown exactly, but it was it got him inside the like the two or the three-yard line. Right. So that was another theme. Um, I wrote down Joe Burrow's mobility is becoming a big issue for Clemson's defense, and that was in the middle of the second quarter. Um, he started leveraging that, and that was before the huge uh, QB draw that he had right before halftime to convert a third and long. Um, that was a ballsy call. So, yes, these are these are all things that were playing out in the first half and are all things that we mentioned on the preview is these are absolutely critical to the way that this game is going to play out. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, I mean, like you mentioned, Clemson had to pull out all the stops to beat LSU's defense, which, may, I, I, first of all, I want to say I didn't give uh, LSU's defense enough credit in the preview. Um, I did mention that, you know, I thought they were good, and it's all relative once you get to a national title game. You know, we did we did talk about that, but look, it becomes more difficult on your defense when your offense is scoring as quickly as LSU's has all year. And mm-hmm. for LSU's defense to still hold up the way that it did over the course of the entire season and how it did last night, I think it's a testament to the job that Dave Aranda's done. It's a reason why he's one of the most highly regarded assistants in the game and why he's an excellent defensive coordinator and he'll get his head coaching shot sooner rather than later. Um, Derek Stingley, true freshman, first team All American cornerback for LSU, shut down an entire side of the field last night, Joey. Mm-hmm. Justin Ross, outside of that scramble that Trevor Lawrence had on that broken play, uh, it, on that first possession of the game, like Justin Ross was quiet all night. Yeah. Um, he really was held down and he had five catches for 76 yards. He was the leading receiver on Clemson, but that tells you all you need to know. Like, what huge plays do you remember Justin Ross making last night? Like, it's really hard to to really remember what those were. And for Derek Stingley to lock down an entire side of the field while T. Higgins is struggling to get open because he's battling injury that he, you know, he got hurt in the, in the semifinal of the Fiesta Bowl against Ohio State. He was not 100% last night, but again, scored the touchdown run, caught a touchdown pass on offense pass interference in the fourth quarter, which was an out- outrageous call. How yeah, bad that was. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Um, but T. Higgins, point being, he fought through it. But Clemson, ha- all of a sudden, when Derek Stingley shuts down Justin Ross on the entire side of the field, T. Higgins is hobbled, not 100%, is having trouble getting open. You're now relying on. Amari Rogers, a pretty good slot receiver, but you're relying on him to get open. You're relying on DeAndre Overton to get open, who's young, who has a bright future, but not at the level of Justin Ross or T. Higgins. And you're relying on Joseph Ngata, a true freshman, to get open. It becomes tough. And Travis Etienne ran the ball well last night. I would have liked to have seen Clemson hand the ball off a little bit more to him to kind of keep the ball away from LSU, number one. But number two, um, Etienne was having a ton of success running the football. Um, I I was – it's curious to me that they threw the ball as much as they did, given the limitations they had at their receiver position and and the fact that LSU's defense was playing so well mm-hmm. against the past. But um, yeah, that that was a that was a clear takeaway for me. I mean, Clemson had a lot of trouble throwing the ball against this LSU secondary, and I think LSU's defense deserves a lot of credit. Dave Aranda deserves a ton of credit that I didn't necessarily give them in the preview. Yep. A um, couple more notes here. Uh, Clemson sending a lot more numbers than I expected on blitzes, and it was yeah. kind of alternating between sending a bunch and sending like three. 
They were they yeah. were either sending three or they were sending about six on like any given play, which I, I never really found a rhyme or reason as to when they were calling that. Maybe that's part of the strategy, but as we discussed, I mean that is a, a ballsy strategy at this point to blitz Joe Burrow and leave his receivers in basically one on one coverage everywhere. As you, you saw what happens there, and that's just how good they are. Um, they, I also wrote they're not they're not getting home or affecting Burrow, so it's neither creating sacks nor is it like bothering him and, and all that. It was just again, it was just leaving receivers open. Um, and then I had LSU's defense felt like they were catching up with Clemson's play calling, and and this is I think a, a small part of a bigger theme that I felt like I I saw in this game. Clemson was a decidedly better team in like the first, call it five, six minutes of each half. So coming out to start the game and coming out of halftime, those first like six or so minutes at, at the beginning of both halves, I felt like Clemson was a way better team. But then by the middle of each half, it felt like LSU was really turning the tide and, and making adjustments a lot better on the fly on the sidelines than Clemson was. I don't know if you got that same impression. Yeah, I did. I mean, I think Brent Venables had a good game plan defensively um, initially, like to start the game. And then I think LSU adjust, adjusted nicely, especially in the second quarter with how they scored on consecutive possessions before halftime. And then once again, I thought Brent Venables did a nice job at halftime making adjustments again, because all of a sudden you saw LSU's offense go into a rut once again on the first couple of possessions of the second half. And you're thinking, OK, well, if Clemson's defense can hold up, if the scheme can hold up against this historic LSU offense, Clemson will have a chance to win the game. Mm-hmm. Clemson, obviously, they convert a two-point conversion. They cut it to a three-point game. Um, it was, what was it, 28-25, to 25, and that's as close as Clemson got. Mm-hmm. Um, LSU scores the remaining points and wins the game by the final margin. I, it, it just was one of those things where it felt like for every adjustment Brent Venables made, and he's now standing defensive coordinator, uh, Joe Brady – and Steve Bensminger had, like, five other things they were about to throw at him. They're like, oh, okay, that won't work. Okay, let's fix that on the next possession. And then they just ran something different that gave Clemson a ton of problems. And it all comes back to the fact that Clemson hasn't been able all year to really consistently create pressure with their front four. And when they have, it's been against lesser competition in the ACC. I mean, let's call it what it is. Yep. Um, and, and last night was the first time they really had to create pressure with more than four guys on a consistent basis. And when you're facing the best quarterback in college football and probably the best skill talent in college football, a receiver, it makes it really, really difficult. And the adjustments made on the fly by LSU, I think, far outweighed the adjustments that were being made by Clemson. So I think that's straight up coaching. I think Coach O and his staff outcoached Dabo and his staff last night. I think that was clear. Yeah, I think the best way I know to illustrate it, the first, so LSU with the ball, the first two drives of the first half, the first two drives of the second half, those four drives, Mike, three and out, three and out, three and out, three and out. Yep. I mean, and and that was how clear it was to me. Oh man, Clemson's got this figured out. They're they're causing a lot of problems. All this stuff. Next thing you know, LSU. I mean, the remainder of the game, they had eleven more drives. They scored six touchdowns which yep. is a pretty good rate against what is it, you know, otherwise been a really good Clemson defense. So, yeah, they made made adjustments well. Um, I, the last thing I had in the first half was I felt like Clemson, LSU ran a pretty much picture-perfect four-minute drill um, to end the first half. They, they get the ball back with about three and a half minutes left, and they march down the field, 11 plays, 95 yards. They took all, you know, all but 10 seconds off the clock. 
Um, they, they were helped by a, a pass interference with about two minutes left that converted third and 19. It was a, it was 19. a horrible, horrible play by the Clemson defense. I mean, it, it might not have been caught if, <laughs> if you hadn't touched him, uh, but you got there so early and you know, what you're going to do. So Darian Kendrick called for a 15 yard pass interference uh, to, to extend the drive and, few plays later LSU goes down and scores so that was uh, that was tough but otherwise a picture perfect drive for LSU to end the first half they go into halftime up 28-17 and at that point Mike I did not feel like Clemson was like done and in fact I was almost sitting here wondering to myself oh they're going to come back how are they going to come back what are they going to do what are they going to change you know I, I was fully expecting to see the adjustments in the second half that Clemson was going to need and I felt like they were going to come back and, and make this into a, a barn burner of a game. Yeah, and part of it too is like we're used to we're used to Clemson kind of figuring it out, right? And last night they just never really figured it out, and they had they had glimpses of it. Obviously, getting the three and out, scoring, getting the two point conversion, cutting it to a three point game there in the third quarter. And, and then subsequently getting stops, it's like, okay, Clemson's right in this football game, but then offensively, they just couldn't make it happen. Um, running the football with ETN was harder in the second half than it was in the first half. And Trevor Lawrence could not consistently, and, and this goes back to T. Higgins being hobbled and Derek Stingley just being a stud, and LSU's defense as a whole just playing really well. I don't want to take anything away from them, obviously. Um, but Clemson couldn't consistently get open, right? The receivers couldn't consistently get open. Trevor Lawrence couldn't consistently beat LSU secondary down the field. That became more and more apparent as the game went on. And while that was happening, LSU started stopping the run. And once they started stopping the run, Clemson couldn't move the football. And in the latter stages of the third quarter, and certainly throughout most of the fourth quarter, Clemson really couldn't move the football much at all. Um, and, you know, obviously Trevor Lawrence throws that touchdown pass. They're down 17, but Trevor Lawrence throws that touchdown pass to uh, to T. Higgins, gets called back for offensive pass interference. Yeah. You know, Clemson, Clemson then got a stop on the following drive. Like, imagine how entertaining this could have been down the stretch if it's all of a sudden 10-point game. There's a little under five minutes to play, and it's still not a great shot for Clemson to win the football game, but now Trevor Lawrence has the ball with some momentum – who knows what happens if you get a score and another stop, right? Like this thing could have been really down to the wire, but fact of the matter is, and Joey, you, you found this stat, which was something um, Trevor Lawrence last night, 13 overthrows. And they were talking about that throughout the broadcast and Kirk Herbstreit did a nice job of talking about how the pressure was affecting Trevor Lawrence, but also his mechanics weren't very good. Mm-hmm. Um, the 13 overthrows last night by Trevor Lawrence tied for the most by any FBS quarterback all season long. So, it wasn't just an off game for Trevor Lawrence. It was like by general standards across the entire FBS, like one of the worst games of the season in regards to how many overthrows that he had. And without question, this was Trevor Lawrence's worst game at Clemson, in my opinion. At least um, on this this kind of stage. Yeah, I mean, he's time and time again, he steps up on these big stages and you saw what he did in the Fiesta Bowl and he just didn't have it last night. I mean, let's call it what it is. And credit to LSU's defense, certainly. Um, they played very well, and they were a big reason why he didn't play well. Uh, but he just didn't quite have it. He was a little bit off, a little bit high on several throws, even when the pocket was clean. I think that was a clear indicator that he was just 
I don't want to say nervous because he's been on that stage before, but he just didn't quite have it. Yeah, something wasn't right. He this is the first time at Clemson he's completed less than fifty percent of his passes in a game. You know, so I, if nothing else, that tells you something. He finishes eighteen of thirty-seven. He threw an interception that was negated by what I thought was a pretty marginal defensive pass interference call on LSU. It was, yep. it you know, it, it, maybe a little bit ticky tack, but you know, it would have been his first interception since October nineteenth. Um, gets called back. He, I, yeah. I had this note, honestly, just straight up. Trevor Lawrence looked bad as that game went on through the second half. Um, it it yeah. felt like it started to spiral away, and the 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 further it got away from Clemson, the more off target Lawrence was. I mean, he threw a pass at one point. Um, I, I I think it was like a third and long kind of situation, and it was maybe third and fourteen. He had a receiver about twelve yards out, and he threw a pass that skipped off the ground like eight, nine yards, you know, away. So it was like several yards in front of the receiver. And I saw that and I was like, oh, like something's not right here. This is not the Trevor Lawrence we all know and love. Yeah, and Herb Street had a similar reaction to that. He was like, well, that wasn't good. Yeah, <laughs> And it was like everybody in the stadium knew. It was like, man, he just doesn't quite have it. And I, I know exactly what play you're talking about. He had a similar play on third down, and I don't know if this was uh, a subsequent possession or if this was before that skip pass happened late. Um, Trevor Lawrence was throwing out to the left-hand side of the field. It was Justin Ross he was looking for, and Ross was breaking on out like a 10- or 12-yard out route on third long, and Lawrence didn't even throw the ball in bounds. I mean, he was probably seven or eight yards out of bounds. Yeah. I mean, it was never – it wasn't catchable. Yeah. And that was kind of the theme all night. Um, it just, he didn't quite have it. Yep. He didn't quite have it. And that's what, and that's what it boils down to. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was very uncharacteristic and it was striking to me there in the second half that, yeah, Lawrence did not look right. He did not look good. It was not, it was very unimpressive and in so many ways. And, um, I don't think that that's, you know, if you've watched any of Trevor Lawrence of the last two years, you know he is almost always better than that. So, I, you know, I think he just had a bad day, a bad night, and, you know, he'll he'll come back and be fine for that. Um, one other thing I wanted to mention, um, middle of third quarter, one of the things that really uh, worked in LSU's favor in terms of momentum. So it's still a three-point game, and with about six minutes left, um, James Skalski, the middle linebacker for Clemson, gets ejected for targeting on a play where uh, Justin Jefferson catches a, a pass and it's kind of coming across the middle, and Skalski drops his helmet and hits him with the crown, but really he barely made contact with like the you know the side rim of Jefferson's helmet and really hit him in the shoulder as much as anything, but. As they explained on the on the broadcast, well, it doesn't matter where you hit him if you drop the you know you hit him with the crown of the head, that's targeting. And he got thrown out for that. There was a 15 yard penalty added onto an already you know decent play that uh, set up you know his next play with an LSU score to extend the lead to 10 points. And it was a it was an important moment, but I I, uh, I didn't love that call. I, I'm not gonna lie, I, I did not love that call, and I I. I I guess they probably officiated it right according to the letter of the law, but my gosh, like I, I did not love that. That was that was the thing that got someone ejected. It was not really anything that put the offensive player in, in in harm's way, but 
you're trying to protect someone from themselves, I guess. That that was the thing that kind of stuck in my crawl the wrong way, Mike. Yeah, I mean, it was clear that this rule's in place for two different reasons, right? The receiver, the defenseless receiver, and for the defender as well, for the spearing aspect of it. David Pollock actually tweeted out something about this because David Pollock, you'll remember, Joey, great career at Georgia. Uh, you're Georgia Bulldogs. Had a great career yeah. at Georgia and then moves on to the NFL, obviously broke his neck, um, you know, fractured vertebrae, making a tackle similar to the one that Skalski made last night. So David Pollock, speaking from firsthand experience, was immediately like, man, like he could have easily broken his neck. Uh, I understand why the rule is in place. I totally get it. I think it was the right call, letter of the law. I get that it's a safety thing. I hate Joey, and I, I've been on this bandwagon for a while, and you know I have been. I hate the players get ejected for it. I really do. I think that, and shout out Scott, because I know Scott's going to listen to this, my soon-to-be brother-in-law. Um, <laughs> he he called this months ago. Um, he mentioned that there should be some sort of, like, similar to, like, flagrant fouls in basketball, where there's, like, a targeting one and, like, a targeting two, where, like, there's still going to be some subjectivity to it, where it's, like, okay, targeting two, it's, like, an obvious, blatant, you're trying, you're headhunting. Kill right? shot, yeah. Like... Yeah, which we're seeing less and less, by the way, but it still happens from time to time. And yeah. then in more cases than not, you just call targeting one, which is, like, a 15-yard penalty, and – you can just treat it like unsportsmanlike conduct, right? You're like, okay, unsportsmanlike conduct on the defender. And if he does it again, he's out. Mm -hmm. And why can't you handle it like that? Why does the player have to get ejected? You know, James Skalski is an outstanding player, Joey. He's the guy who calls the plays on the Clemson defense. Um, Brett Venable's son, Jake, who's the backup middle linebacker, was in the game last night. And he's going to probably be a pretty good linebacker at Clemson eventually, but he's – pretty young and he's stepping into Skalski's role and Skalski's a veteran on that defense and Skalski is the leading tackler not named Isaiah Simmons by the way right and like Clemson is having trouble stopping LSU anyway and you take their second best tackler off the field it's like how is this supposed to work yeah so I hate it I mean I hate the players get ejected for it I think that there needs to be some I, I get it I understand player safety I get I get all that I'm good with the penalties I'm not great I'm just not on board with ejecting guys for it at least not on the initial Penalty. Yeah, and and I think probably the last thing I'll hit on here. Um, so so Skalski ejected for targeting. Next play, LSU scores a touchdown, goes up ten points. The note that I have written down here: Clemson feels like they're just hanging on, and I'm not sure they'll come back. This was this was the point, you know, kind of getting into the the latter part of the third quarter that I was like, I think this might be it. Um, Clemson was struggling to stop LSU. They, they'd gotten a couple in the first half, but it was just, it started to feel a bit like an avalanche, and Clemson wasn't showing enough on offense that they were really going to be able to mount a comeback, and sure enough, they weren't able to. Um, I, you know, and, and the fourth quarter was pretty much, was pretty chalky. I mean, LSU had the ball most of the last 10 minutes. Um, they, they, Eight plays, 28 yards, punt that took five and a half minutes somehow. I don't know how the math on that works. And then eight plays, 48 yards, end of game. It took almost a full four minutes. And so they just absolutely sat on the ball. Um, they, they pretty much had the game won, and that was the right thing to do. And, and that was it. And, and Clemson lost. And I, I thought it was a, I thought it was a pretty good effort. You know, they they, they played hard. They, they played fairly well. But they just ran into a bit of a buzzsaw team here in LSU that had a um, – 
not just generational, but probably an all-time great offense here in college football. Um, a, a formidable defense that made some good adjustments and kind of caused them some problems. And I, I, I don't shame Clemson at all for losing this game, even losing by 17 points. I mean, it just it sort of snowballed and got away from them in the second half, and, and LSU is just that good. This is, I think, legitimately one of the great all-time college football teams, and there, there's no shame in losing to them, especially when, you know, in the third quarter you've got a three-point deficit. Like, that's – there was some honor to that for sure. You know, you were that close there for that much of the game, I think. Yeah, I mean, Clemson had a 10-point lead in this game at one point. Like – yeah. <laughs> It's not like Clemson just rolled over. I, I, there was some reaction on Twitter, primarily from Virginia Tech fans who, I, God bless them. <laughs> uh, there was some speculation and some conversation being had on Twitter that, specifically in my mentions, because they're always a bloodbath, that Clemson was an overrated team no. all year. I mean, they just beat Ohio State in the Fiesta Bowl. They were leading this game at one point, like in the second quarter, they were leading the game. I. And they hung around. They were down by three points in the third quarter. I, I don't know how you can call them overrated. I Mm-mm. Whatever. Um, I also had a guy, Joey, and this was an interesting comment. I said, you know, if Dabo – I tweeted this, you know, on Monday morning. I said, if Dabo wins the national championship, it'll be his third title in four years, cementing him among the greats in college coaching, which I already think he is, but uh, cementing him among the greats in college football history, and he's only 50 years old. And I had a guy reply saying, oh, well, if Dabo wins his third national championship, it doesn't necessarily mean he's the best coach. Does he get the most out of his players? And does he, you know, um, you know, is he good with the media? And is he all the, all this other stuff? You know, Dabo winning his third national title doesn't mean he's the best. It just means he's the winningest. And look, okay. I, I think if you, win, if you win multiple national championships, I think you're great. I think that's how this thing works. Call me crazy. I, I mean, if you're a salesman and you make the most sales, aren't you the best salesman? Like, there, isn't you know, there, you're making a lot of sense here. Isn't there a single success criteria here in play? And if you, if, if you have the most of that success criteria, you're probably the best. Like, I, and and if we want to have the discussion, like, and we've we've talked about this before in the podcast, like. Do would I ever, as a you know, if if I one day am the head coach of Alabama and Dabo has somehow been unemployed somewhere and I need an offensive coordinator, do I want Dabo to come in and be my offensive coordinator? No, I don't think Dabo is some schematic genius. You know, when it comes to football and that kind of thing. But if you consider all of the general duties of a head coach and, and just generally putting together a program that is successful and using the resources that are given to you and, and all these things, find the, find the fault. Like, they've played for a national title three out of four years and they've done all these great things. Like, sure, he individually is not great at every last bit of football coaching, but he has at least got the wherewithal to recognize where he is and isn't, you know, good enough, and and find folks that help to supplement what he does and doesn't do well. Like, and so in that yeah. regard, he is as good as they come as a, as a football coach. And so I just be real, real careful at criticizing, you know, the head coach of a guy you know, of a team that's now 
again, won two national titles and, and nearly won a third in a four-year span. Like, damn. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it just... Let's not overthink it. This is supposed to be fun, first of all. Yeah. Right? Like, don't get angry because I called Dabo great. I don't get it. <laughs> um, like, relax. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Everybody calm down. Um, yeah, there was also the... And I know that... I know that you saw this and you were making comments about it as well. There was also the oh, actually Ohio State was the best team. Oh, give me, get the hell out of here with that. Um, couple things, Joey. Number one, Ohio State had a two touchdown lead in the Fiesta Bowl. I believe they blew it and lost to Clemson. Correct? Absolutely, they did. Okay, cool. Um, and and I'll, I'll, I'll mention here too, in the Fiesta Bowl, I feel like Clemson, and I don't know if we really hit on this in the recap. I feel like Clemson played like a B-level game. They did not play their best game, and Ohio State had a lead, and Clemson won anyways. So don't don't come in here telling me about how Ohio State's actually the best team. You get the hell out of here as, with that, as far as I'm concerned. I agree. They, I mean, at some point, wins and losses matter. Yeah. And they, they lost their biggest game of the season, and they blew a two-touchdown lead while doing it. So yeah. what do you what do you want me to tell you? Um, and they're like, oh well, you know, it would have been a better matchup for for Ohio State against LSU. Well, they probably should have beaten Clemson then. Like, <laughs> I don't I don't really understand the logic here. Like, if you come in third place, I'm sorry, you're the third place team. I don't, you know, yeah. Ohio State's not going. Ohio State wasn't ranked number one today because they lost the Fiesta Bowl. Like, what? I don't understand the logic. And they're like, oh well, anything can happen in one game sam- sample size. If Ohio State played Clemson ten times. I bet Ohio State would win seven of them. First of all, how do you know that? You don't. Yeah. Second of all, it, it all that matters is the one-game sample size. That's what makes college football so great. Yeah. The reason why these teams make the playoff is because they don't lose all year. And if they do lose, they lose once. Like, There's a reason why the playoff at four teams is so difficult to get into. It's because it rewards the elite teams who don't lose games. It's all about one-game sample sizes throughout the entire season in college football if you can't win consistently those one-game sample sizes, you're not going to be considered a great team or even an elite team. Yeah. So Ohio State, I think they're a great team. I think they're even an elite team. But at the end of the day, they didn't win the game they needed to, their biggest game of the season. So how can you sit here and say, oh, yeah, they're actually they're the best team? Yeah. LSU just went on a ridiculous run. They scored you know, a ridiculous amount of points in the – uh, in the bowl game, uh, in the semifinal against Oklahoma, they run Oklahoma out of the stadium. They go into last night. They have almost 700 yards of total offense against one of the best defenses in college football. I thought Clemson's defense overall played pretty well last night. And you look up at the scoreboard, and all of a sudden they give up almost 700 yards of offense. I mean, Joe Burrow completed 73% of his passes this year. He threw 60 touchdown passes. Like, LSU was the best team in college football this year. Yeah. I was going to say, and I, I think we can agree on that, and there's not really a lot of arguments to be had at this point because there's there's three other teams that I can think of that might have any claim to that whatsoever, and LSU's beaten two of them on the field. Yep. Uh, and the third one, LSU beat a team on the field that beat that team on the field. You know, So the three teams I have in mind here are Clemson, Ohio State, and maybe Alabama. Yep. I, I, I would say Alabama, I think, was the one team, if, if I'm thinking – Okay, was Clemson legit the second best team in the country? I'm not 100% convinced of that. Um, right. I, I am convinced that LSU was the best team. I am yeah. not 100% certain that Clemson was the second best team. I, I think if right. you play that Clemson-Ohio State game 10 times, Clemson's not winning 10. Right. Um, 
but I also think that if you if you matched those teams up against Alabama ten times, neither of those teams is winning ten either. Um, you know, so I, I think that Alabama has a claim to that. But like I said, LSU beat Clemson on the field. They beat Alabama on the field, and you know Clemson beat Ohio State on the field. So by transitive property, you know you're covered there. So. I don't know. I you know I, I I think Clemson belonged in this game in, in so many different ways, but they just ran it. Like I said, they ran into a buzzsaw, and, and LSU was just that good. So yeah, I, I I don't um I don't think there's any reason to hang your head or, or to uh, feel any sense of shame or anything like that. You know, for Clemson, I mean they they played hard, but they played against a better team, and that's just it is what it is. That's just happens sometimes, and um. We're going to remember this LSU team as one of the all-time greats, I do believe. Yeah, I agree with you. And one last thing before we wrap up here. We talked about Derek Stingley being kind of an unsung hero with how he shut down the entire side of the field. The other guy I wanted to touch on real quick, and I, I've been texting you about and I've been sending you direct messages about I have to mention it on the podcast. That Moss, Randy Moss's kid, the mm-hmm. tight end, was ridiculous last night. Huge X factor. Huge X factor. And I think the Derek Stingley corner – and Thad Moss at tight end for LSU, it was just so clear to me at those two positions specifically how much of an advantage LSU had over Clemson. Mm-hmm. Like, Clemson doesn't have an elite tight end. They don't have I, – I think A.J. Terrell is phenomenal, but he's not Derek Stingley, right? Yeah. And it was clear that LSU had the advantage at corner and they had the advantage at tight end, and those were two of the biggest differences of the game outside of obviously Joe Burrow being Joe Burrow. Um yeah, Thad Moss was outstanding. Clemson never had an answer for him. He made big catch after big catch, obviously. Uh, caught a couple of huge third-down passes, caught a touchdown pass where he was just sitting there wide open in the end zone. Um, he was really, really good for LSU last night, so I, I just wanted to bring that up. He had two touchdowns, obviously, on five catches, um, only 36 yards receiving, but the the catches that he had were just huge in, in the scheme of the game. So, um he didn't put the stats up that Jamar Chase had, obviously, with 200 receiving yards. Um, you know, Jefferson had nine for 106. Justin Jefferson, he was really good. And um, Terrence Marshall had that ridiculous touchdown catch, too. But Thad Moss was really, really good last night. So I want to make sure I, I talked about him before we wrap up. Absolutely. Yeah, no, he was great. He, he, he wasn't, like, all over the place, but he was in the right places at the right times. Um, yep. five catches, 36 yards, two touchdowns. Um, I mean, he was, he was there and he was able to help bail Joe Burrow out a couple times that he, he kind of found himself under pressure and, and yeah, it was absolute X factor. Um, and Stingley, if you look at the stat sheet, Derek Stingley with only what two tackles, only one of them solo in the game. And you would think, man, this guy was almost absent from the defense. No, there's a reason Mike that he didn't have any tackles is because Clemson didn't want to throw anywhere near him. Nope. Um, they which, did not. Which is the, the sure sign of a good cornerback, you could say. Yep. So, yep, they want no part of that. Absolutely. So, I, you know, we can we can look forward. We've got a whole offseason to talk about Clemson moving forward, but I think Clemson is in a perfectly good spot here. Um, still with Trevor Lawrence coming back, he's going to be the favorite for the Heisman next year. I still think it's probably a bad, uh, probably a bad wager to bet him to win the Heisman for probably very similar reasons to what we had this year with – you know, schedule strength of dif- you know strength of schedule difficulty and some things like that. I, I just don't think he's necessarily going to be in a position to have enough skins on the wall to win the Heisman next year. But he could still be really, really good. Have Clemson back in the playoff yet again. Um, no reason to think that he won't. You know, so I, I think that Clemson's in a really good spot. 
LSU, it's going to be interesting to see if they can rebound because they've got a lot of guys that are going to be leaving. Not 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 the least of which is Joe Burrow, their Heisman winning quarterback. You know, is going to be going to the NFL. So, can LSU rebound? I don't know. Can Clemson rebound? Absolutely, they can. Um, yeah. So I, I think at the very least, if you're a Clemson fan, just know you're still in a good spot. You're in a really good spot. They are um, returning most of their team. Um, obviously, Trevor Lawrence coming back is huge. Um, he's the favorite to win the Heisman Trophy. Clemson is the favorite, the early favorite, obviously, to win the national championship next year. So Clemson is probably going to be preseason number one. If not, they'll be in the top two. They're in, uh, yeah, Clemson's in great hands. They're the best program in college football right now, in my opinion. The most consistent program. They're consistently making uh, the playoff, making national championships. I think the only other team you can make an argument for as far as, like, best program is concerned, in my opinion, is Alabama. Outside of that, I don't think there's an argument for anybody else at this present moment, but I think if Ohio State starts stringing together some seasons, I think they could be there. I have a hard time seeing LSU getting there, especially with Joe Brady going to the NFL, losing Joe Burrow next year. Um, it's going to be tough for LSU to get back, especially with the skill position talent they're losing. But Jamar Chase will still be in the fold, and um, there are some other receivers there um, who are departing for the NFL. But LSU will still have some skill talent. They'll still have a a decent defense next year, but they are losing a significant amount of talent. So I would not expect them to have anywhere near the year they just had um, heading into 2020. Yeah. And, and not that they'll be bad, but just maybe not quite this good is all. Yeah, maybe nine maybe nine wins. I mean, it's not like they're losing everybody. I mean, they'll still be good. It's just yeah. relative. Clemson, Clemson's in full-on re- like reload mode at this point, though. So it's kind of funny to think that with the recent signing class, one day Trevor Lawrence is going to leave and go to the NFL, and they're going to replace him with the number one overall QB recruit in the, in the class. DJ something, something, something. Ukulele, something, something or other. Yeah, it's some. It's DJ Ukulele, is what I'll call him. Yeah, from Southern California, um, coming yep. over to Clemson, South Carolina, and uh, he'll he'll replace Trevor Lawrence one day. But in any case, we'll we'll, we'll talk about all that. Uh, Mike, that's all I got on this game. You think we've uh, we've hit this thoroughly enough at this point? I think so. We've now gone through all my notes and probably all of yours, so yeah. I think we're done. I I think that's it. Hey Joey, um, Justin Fuente might take the Baylor job. So, what do you think hmm. of that? Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, Virginia Tech fans are like, oh, good, he's leaving. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, cool. It's January 15th. Who are you replacing him with? Yeah, see, that, that's the that's the whole catch on all of this. Is I, I'm kind of right there w- with the Virginia Tech fans saying, like, you know, maybe this isn't the worst thing um, for him to leave without having to fire him and all that. And, and I realize they had a good run at, at a certain part of the season, but... I also know that it's there's been some signs of is this really the right guy or not, and and to think that you might be going through a full on coaching change here as you also move on from Bud Foster finally for the first time in like thirty years, maybe this is not the worst thing, but with the exception of like you said where we stand in the coaching hiring calendar and that, that whole cycle. It is not the ideal position for Virginia Tech to start hiring a coach here in mid-January. That that is not what you what you uh, hope for as an AD at the very least. Yep. No, I know it's going to be interesting to see. I'm going to hold off on a lot of thoughts on this until I truthfully have a little bit more information on it. But um, yeah. it does. There, this is more than just a rumor. This is legitimate. There's traction here. The one thing I will mention is, uh, you know, Virginia Tech just hires this, you know, a bunch of 
new assistants on the defensive side of the ball, mm-hmm. new support staff, all that stuff. And people are like, oh, how could Justin Fuente leave? Two things. Number one, he's from Tulsa, Oklahoma, which is not far from where he'd be coaching. He's from that region of the country. Number two, money. Baylor can pay him much more than Virginia Tech can. And look, I mean, like you mentioned, it's been a warm seat for Justin Fuente given how 2018 went. Um, this 2019 season was eight and five, but I think in general it underwhelmed just by final record and considering what their schedule looked like with two FCS teams and the whole nine yards. Mm-hmm. Um, get out while you can, because he essentially he fixed his stock with how Virginia Tech played in October and November. Virginia Tech had a seven or eight win stretch, eight, seven or eight week stretch where they looked like a legitimate ACC coastal contender, you know, for not only this year, but for a couple of years, given the youth on the team mm-hmm. and get out while the going's good. I could see him doing that, um, especially with the expectations of Virginia Tech among the fan base right now. Fair or unfair, they're really grilling him. So <laughs> this might not be the worst step for Justin Fuente to take on a personal level. So whatever he chooses to do, best of luck. I, I was that was kind of my large scale take was maybe this works out okay for all involved. Yeah, do what makes you happy, Fuente. Right? Like, sure. I I don't care. I mean, the coaches need to do what makes them happy and what's best for their family. So go do that. Don't worry about the fans; they'll be fine. Yep, yep. So we're uh, we'll definitely come back and talk about that, depending on if it happens or not. But yep. Um, other than that, I think that's all I got, Mike. Anything else? I think we're good, man. Yeah, I think so. Um, we so this is this concludes officially the 2019 college football season, and that that hurts to say, but it is what it is. Um, you know, Father Time undefeated the whole thing, but the <laughs> thank you for that. Yeah. I know that's yeah. real uplifting. Um, but Mike, that's the thing is that we're not we're not done with this podcast. Um, no, th- we this aren't. episode we're pretty much done with, but <laughs> the. the uh, <laughs> You know, the, the near future holds more episodes. We do continue to go through the offseason. We will have about an episode every three, four weeks or so, um, just kind of collecting ACC football news as it comes down. You hit spring football and signing day, and then there's media days, and there's other weird stories that are going to come out in, like, May that we got to hit on and all these things. So uh, we're going to do that, and then obviously around uh, around the, the mid-year, so around the 4th of July, we'll probably start doing some uh, team previews looking into the 2020 season. So um, really hope that you keep your podcast machine tuned here. Uh, we will have some episodes coming here. It's certainly in the next few weeks. we got to do a full-on season recap and talk about kind of what we, what we said before the season and how it actually turned out, and there will be a lot of uh, hilarity that ensues there. Um, I, I did go back and listen to our season preview episode earlier this week, and there's some stuff that we got to talk about, Mike. Oh yeah, there is. That's for sure. So we're gonna do that here soon. Um, we'll, we'll we'll be with you, so please stick with us. Um, Mike. In the meantime, they can find us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel SI. I got it right this time. And thanks, he is, buddy. Together, we're at BC Podcast ACC. Y'all can send us an email with your questions, comments, concerns to the longest email address known to man, basketball conference podcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. And the next episode, I promise, I promise the next episode will include a mailbag dump from our email address. So if you haven't sent a question in by now, please do so, and we will address it here um, in our next episode that's coming here. I don't know, a couple weeks or so. We'll see. Uh, Mike, they can find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Stitcher, the Overcast app, and most importantly on Anchor. 
Uh, and you want to tell them where they can find us in the social medias? Uh, Facebook, facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all of our podcasts there, Jerry. Please do, please do. Uh, Mike, that's all I got. Somehow we spent almost an hour talking about one football game. Does that shock you? It was a natty, so. Nope, no oh, better man. game to talk that's that right. much about. Uh, you want to come back and uh, talk some season recap here in a couple weeks? I do. Hey, the Fiesta Bowl was better. Yeah, I think so. There was a lot more drama, and it, it went down to the last minute, at least to some degree. So, yeah, I'll, I'll give you that. Hey, cool, man. Thanks. <laughs> All right. We'll talk soon. Yes, sir. All right. Well, until then, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thanks for a great 2019 season. We'll talk to you again soon. And until next time, go ACC. Go ACC.